Everybody, uh, it's been a little while uh, since the Polish Guy podcast has been around. Uh, kind of licking my wounds since the last podcast, uh, right before the uh, what was the inevitable Bears downfall after their two and zero start. Uh, but we got blocks back here uh, on the podcast, and uh, we've got World Series, got plenty to talk about, plenty of NFL stuff. We're almost at the halfway point, but let's get it out of the way. Uh, gotta admit, I. Wasn't going to do the World Series, but and it's being played right now because the two teams I didn't want to see are playing each other. But lots of you happen to be a Cardinals fan, and uh, you you wrote me into this one and uh, threatened to abuse my dogs or something. So tell me why I should watch this World Series. This was a hot topic on the radio this morning, whether uh, people would actually watch the World Series or they would uh, watch the uh, the Panthers and Tampa Bay game tomorrow. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's the World Series. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, and, uh, it's not like watching a regular season game. So, uh, you know, both... Both of these teams are pretty similar, and uh, great, great lineups, great bullpens. Uh, you know, and Boston's got the whole beard thing going. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, I think these two teams are pretty evenly matched. Well, unfortunately, I have to agree with you there. Um, I actually do think this will be an exciting World Series. Just when you you when you list the teams that made the playoffs for baseball. You know, the teams that people are probably least excited to see are probably these two teams, I have to admit it, as a fan. Uh, secretly, the Cardinals. Uh, they talk about the Carlos, Cardinals' mystique. They talk about uh, how the team is and how the fans are. A lot of respect around the league. What people don't understand is that the Cardinals are the Yankees of the National League. They, have, they are second in appearances. They are second in World Series wins. This is their fourth time in ten years. This is the Red Sox' third time in ten years. You know, we've been getting used to seeing these teams now, and as as a fan who loves the stories of teams like the Pirates this year, you know, it, it's hard when you come down to it and you see this matchup, but the truth is, this is a really good matchup, and it's just the third time in the, in the wild card era where the teams with the two best records in the league face each other, and it doesn't end there. Both teams were 97 and 65 during the regular season. As you mentioned, both these teams have, uh, you know, there's a young pitcher coming up. Yeah, Buckholz isn't that young, but he's still the young pitcher on the Red Sox staff. You got a great story of the Cardinals, Michael Waka. You know, you, there's a lot of interesting things going on. The uh, what the uh, uh, 
But I, I heard I heard some news on uh, Buckholz about half hour ago, actually. What's that? Uh, well, he's supposed to basically do a a bullpen session uh, before today's game because presumably he was going to be Boston's uh, game three starter. Right. And instead of doing a bullpen session, he was merely tossing balls in the outfield, and they were saying his shoulder is bothering him. So he, he may not pitch at all this series, and they may have to go with PV in Game 3. Which, again, when you have such deep lineups, um, you're, you're not sure. You know, um, a PV actually has a little bit of a, a little bit of playoff experience, and he's he's one of those big time guys where you know as you've already seen in this playoff, well, or you gotta know if he has it or doesn't have it early, and uh, you know that might not be a hugely terrible thing for the Red Sox, but it, it, you know it, it's interesting. Uh, the Cardinals obviously it's gotten colder the pitching has gotten better uh, hitting has been really really down in these playoffs so when you're a team with uh, with power like both these teams have through most of their lineups where it's the type of lineups where anybody can hit a homer it's not one of the you know not a lot of guys uh, other than if you want to you know put Ortiz out on a line uh, out on an island or something like that and say he's the premier power threat around not necessarily true. You, you've got guys that anybody can step up and hit a homer, and, and you need that in the playoffs. And, and it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, and the Cardinals get their cleanup hitter back, who hasn't played in a month and a half. Right. Uh, and you don't know how he's going to be. I mean, and he, he, for a while there, you could have argued that he was going to be, uh, he was an MVP candidate. Uh, I mean, he really was. Yeah, and, there, I, I think there's an advantage, though, since. Uh, you know, it's ALNL that you know he could he could DH for a few games this series and uh, not really hurt the team. So if he just has to concentrate on hitting, uh, you know, they throw Adams out there and uh, you know, you, that that pretty much resembles an American League lineup. Now I know that you love big left-handed hitting fat white guys, so you must love Matt Adams. Yeah, yeah, Matt Adams is, uh, he's, he's, he's part of the Matt Stairs, John Jaha, Jason Giambi crowd. Even though Jaha was a righty, but, you know, he was forgiven because he looked like a truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I agree with that. The interesting dynamic, and really, man, this does, I think, comes down to one thing. I, I think, just think it comes down to the, the Cardinals pitching, can, can Joe Kelly keep it up? Can Michael Waka, you know, have a, a, an appearance or two where he keeps it up? And the, the secret about how good the Cardinals pitchers are is simply that they have those freaky stats with runners in scoring position on offense all year, uh, literally unprecedented. And well, the truth is, is they've gotten by on amazing pitching when they've got some guys that are just absolute cement blocks around at third base and then holiday you know it's when you when you take a look at how badly some of their fielders move around it's pretty incredible how well they have done uh, throughout the entire season 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, Matheny benched uh, John Jay, uh, their center fielder, in the middle of the playoff series last uh, last series for Shane Robinson. I mean, how many teams benched their center fielder in the playoffs? <laughs> and, and Jay, through most of the season, was having his most productive year as a Cardinal. And, and, and you know, he was one of those guys where you weren't sure if he was a like kind of a 4A guy or just a fourth outfielder that should never have more than 300 at-bats, and he finally looks like the guy, and all of a sudden in the middle of the playoffs here is, uh, you're not the guy. <laughs> you know, and of course, incredibly, they they didn't want to go back to Peter Cosma, and then they have to go back to him, and then, of course, he's, since he's the only defensive player out there for him, really, uh <laughs> He starts making amazing plays at the most important times of the season, and uh, there you go. Uh, I mean, just the, just incredible stuff, and uh, it is a really even matchup uh, in the World Series. And, you know, I, I do think baseball finally does have a chance tomorrow. <laughs> uh, there's not many NFL games where I think they would have a chance against, but gosh darn it. I think Panthers Bucks is about the level you need to be at to give baseball a chance. Uh, well, after that uh, car fire that was the Giants and the uh, and the Vikings on Monday night, uh, you know, yeah, I tend to agree with you. I don't, I don't think NFL fans want to see that <laughs> two national broadcasts in a row like that. Uh, you know, there's a bad Monday night game coming up now too. This is the this is the oh, you, God, yeah. the, this is the <laughs> usual run of bad. Boy, does Monday night football get screwed over every single year? It seems now. I mean, you know, ESPN must be looking at that 1.8 billion or whatever it was, and just like just like wanting to be slowly slicing their wrists. Just awful matchups they always end up with. The Rams, who uh, might be, who knows by them, they might be trudging out Tebow and Zach Stacy. And, uh, and or Brady Quinn. And or Brady Quinn, that's correct. Uh, Alright, before we really get into the football, we do have to make a World Series prediction. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead, uh, you know, I, I kind of said it at the beginning of the year, you know, I, I only got four playoff teams right in baseball. I had a couple of teams that actually made it to the playoffs right on the fringe, so I, I was close. But one thing I did mention in the beginning of the season, and you weren't totally with me, was I, I figured a way that the, the, the Cardinals just felt like a team that would still get it done. And no, I, 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 never, I, I didn't think they would be this good at all. Yeah, and I I said they would, so I, I can't stop backing them uh, at this point since they're my remaining playoff team. I'm going to take them in seven. I think it goes the whole way, and uh, I think Carlos Beltran may be the best uh, postseason hitter of our generation. Uh, I think he's going to go ahead. He's going to grab himself a big hit in game seven. Uh, but I'm going to go on a limb, and I'm going to say that uh, Freeze gets a World Series MVP. Yeah. Um, I'm saying Cardinals and Sets. Uh, as I said, I think uh, getting Craig back in the lineup is huge. Huge. 
his rest that uh, they could possibly throw Wainwright out there three times this series. Uh, Walker, I think, giving up one run in his last three starts. Uh, you know, I just, uh, there's questions now about buckholes that uh, I think, uh, I, I, I think Boston could be down 2 nothing in this series. Uh, before it really gets going. So, yep, yeah, I, I agree that that could happen, but uh, we're both going Cardinals. You and six, me and seven. We'll move on yeah. to we'll we'll move on to NFL now. Just general NFL news. Um, you, you know, the first thing I want to hit up on is uh, is reported by Clay Travis, and it turns out that our eyes, when it comes to injuries, are are not deceiving us. Uh, there have been 124 season-ending injuries this season through Week 7. Last year was only 84. That's about a 47% difference uh, increase. Uh, do you think this is a trend, or do you think this is the deal with something else? Um, I think it's a combination of things. Uh, I think it's a combination of things. Um, you know, I think the the limited uh, practice time and the the in season and off season has something to do with it. Uh, but I think uh, you know the rules uh, being adjusted to the lower strike zones have have something to do with it, as we're seeing a lot of hip, ankle, knee injuries. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, I, I got I got a list here of of teams, and we're not even at week eight, so we just finished week seven. The following two, the following teams have have played three, have played or started three quarterbacks. Uh, meaning, these teams have had quarterbacks accumulate stats. Uh, sure. Different. Three different quarterbacks. You got Buffalo, Cleveland, Houston, Philadelphia, and Minnesota. So that's that's five that's five of the thirty-two teams. It's nearly one of division, uh, and uh, four other teams: Chicago, Jacksonville, uh, St. Louis, and Oakland uh, could be on that list uh, next time they play. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, no, our, our eyes are not deceiving us. Uh, you know, that, that list is pretty crazy because, you know, only probably uh, the Arizona Cardinals were like that last year. Now we got uh, seemingly uh, half the league uh, uh, trouting out on a, a clown card at quarterback. So uh, it is pretty crazy. Uh, the worst part about it is that with every single mention of Kellen Clemens that we have, or Jason Campbell that we have, or Josh McCown that we have, or or, or the Bears bringing back a Jordan Palmer of all names. Every single mention of that does get the league that much closer to someone signing Tim Tebow. <laughs> but, you know, I, I agree with you. I, look, it's too short of a sample size to say it's a trend, but I do think it's fair to say that this is something that we're going to see. Now, I throw away the idea that it's just the head-to-head -head collisions and now guys are just going lower all the time. Uh, look, this isn't the first year they started officiating head-to-head -head collisions close. I mean, they, 
that goes all the way back to the Dante Robinson hit uh, on the Deshaun Jackson, I believe. And that's really when the crackdown started. It, was, it didn't happen this offseason. But what you are seeing is, you're right, there's less workouts, and you see less teams being able to tackle. Uh, we'll get into the Bears later, but, you know, that's one of the things that we're going to talk about with them. They just can't tackle anymore. But there's going to be much more detail than that. But in general, you have less workouts, you have less contact workouts, and in, in college, you see it in college. You know, I, I don't watch as much college, but one thing that I see permeating throughout all of the ranks now is that when you spread offenses and speed and fast and, and all this type of stuff, it, it, it's first of all, it's hard to square up and get a form tackle when every single skill position player is being pushed to the offensive side of the ball. It's hard to find, and that's what's happening. There is a talent depletion in the secondary specifically uh, on most teams because this is the future. People realize, that, you know, Baylor is not, not Baylor is going to be the norm. When I said football is going to look like a lot like the Arena League in the future, I wasn't kidding. You know, people are going to start emulating what Baylor does and truly spreading the entire field and getting four guys out there and forcing man-to-man coverage when the zone, when the, everything's spread out too far to run zone. And you start with that, and then you go with the idea that the real people guys are just simply launching to tackle instead of forming up. It's not just launch. They're just launching with a shoulder a lot of times at just a hip or something like that instead of trying to actually tackle. Well, what's going to happen is in the course of a game and in the course of when you're running extra plays, you know, you start going from 70 plays to 80 plays a game, that's 20 more chances to get hurt per team, you know, per team per game. You do that in an NFL schedule, uh, that's, all right, 256 games times 40 chances. You're talking about, what, 8,000 extra chances to get hurt? per season, so yeah, it's going to get all, it, it's simple numbers, it's bad tackling, it's not being taught, guys are now launching instead of squaring up, and this is what you get, because you, you can't catch up with the guy, so you're going to launch yourself at his hip, and in the course of the game, you're going to be too high, you're going to be too low, you're going to hit the knee, you're going to do that, look, it's a lot of things, but this is where we're going, and we, we feel like we've been forced that. And one of the reasons certainly is the helmet-to-helmet stuff. But it's not the only reason. Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree. It's, uh, you know, it's the way the lead is. uh, You know, Pete Carroll in Seattle, he's one of the few guys who accumulates great athletes on defense. And, uh, you know, he's one of the few guys that can match up against, you know, big tight ends and uh, the big receivers, and yet I wonder how many other teams are going to start to emulate the, the form, formula Seattle has out there uh, just to, you know, to, to combat the way the lead's going. Well, you know, but that that's about scarcity. you got to be one of the few teams that can actually do it and actually find the guys that know how to do it. There's not There's not many around. So it's, uh, boy, you know, it's a trend. It's just one of those other trends. Um, moving on to that, you know, 
I think the teams that are most interesting to me this year. Okay, let's talk about how good do you think the Chiefs are? I I think they're very good. Uh, I mean, Alan Smith's play uh, can leave something to be desired at 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 some point, but uh, you know, Jamal Charles is great. Uh, their offensive line is pretty good. Uh, you know, they had 10 sets in a game uh, two weeks ago versus Oakland, uh, with a game that included a, a third and 48, and then uh, also a punt, which went 46 yards and didn't, didn't reach the line to gain <laughs> on the following play. <laughs> That's one of those great little. That's one of those great little moments in football, right there. Uh, but uh, first place, Kansas City Chiefs over the Broncos. It's uh, it's uh, going to be real interesting to see what happens when when those two teams hook up later on. You know, it's funny they're doing that in the uh, non-modern football, old-school way too. Uh, you know, Jamal Charles is getting 24 touches a game when last year he only had about 17 or so. Uh, they have 35 sacks. The next closest team is 25. Of course, that I guess that, that addition is just the Raiders game. But, uh, you know, Alex Smith, they take care of the ball. Uh, the defense is so good that they just simply don't give up points. They have given up 81 points in seven games. Uh, the only other team under 100 is the Carolina Panthers at 83 points, uh, but they've done that in only six games. Uh, so, you know, the Panthers are giving up about 15 points a game, while the Chiefs are giving up less than 12. So, yeah, all they do is wait you out. They say, eventually, you're going to make a mistake. We're just simply not going to do that. Uh, Jamal Charles is guaranteed to score us one touchdown. He has scored in every single game. So they say, okay, he's going to give us one. Smith might give us another. We're going to kick a couple field goals, and that's going to be enough to beat you because we're going to sack you three or four times when we make our adjustments at halftime, and you're probably going to turn the ball over, and we're going to take advantage of that. All right, that's, that's pretty old school. That, that reminds me of uh, Phil Simms' New York Giants football, don't, don't you think? Yeah, or Jeff Hostetler. Right, right. I guess, yeah, I guess that's more, more closely to what they had Hostetler was uh, put into play. And it is. I guess, I guess it feels like, you know, this does feel a lot like Super Bowl Twenty Five. Every single game for the Chiefs feels like Super Bowl Twenty Five because they're facing the running gun from every single team in the league, and all they do is just keep the ball the whole game and not turn the ball over, and it's, uh, you, you end up losing. But you know there is some there's some problems with them is that their their opponents are only 15 and 33 which means they're 15 and 26 when they're not facing the Chiefs which is still a deplorable record and, and you know they only but the thing is they're gonna ride this to 13 and three at least uh, they're gonna they're gonna set a new mark for the biggest turnaround in NFL history I, I I don't see how they lose more than three of those next nine games they have a couple tough games but. They are good enough to beat some good teams. Um, you know, they've got a little bit of luck on their side. They, you know, they faced the Texans after they lost their number one running back, and they're down to Case Keenum, who, by the way, how good did he look? I mean, that was impressive. 
Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of fans, uh, very very excited in Houston uh, in, uh, this past Sunday, but uh, they they couldn't pull it off. Uh, Brian Cushing with another gruesome injury, uh, but uh, I definitely think he should get another start, regardless of what uh, how Shab heals during the bye week. Uh, on, uh, on Football Pros, we've been discussing the severity of the injuries. Uh, a little bit of bias here. I ranked Cutler one. I ranked Reggie Wayne number two as, a, as the most important. I, I put Briggs at three or four. I forget which one. Uh, but the name that we that uh, we could argue a little bit about, and, and you being down there in Houston, I put Cushing pretty low. I mean, there was nine big injuries. I think I put Cushing at like seven. Because aren't they getting used to not playing with him, uh, I mean, he's missed a lot of time. How much of an impact does Cushing really have uh, for these Texans right now? Um, I think he has a lot, actually. Okay. Um, you know, he the, the, their depth at linebacker isn't what it was. Uh, Connor, Connor Barwin's now a Philadelphia Eagle. Um, you know. You know, they got a bunch of awful rams, uh, second string, third string guys that uh, probably shouldn't be starting that inside linebacker and are going to be starting. Uh, I, you know, their only linebacker of note uh, is basically Brooks Reed now. Woody Merciless is still out there, but, uh, I mean, they, they've lost the Miko Ryans and, uh, you know, Connor Barwin the last couple of years off that defense. Well, I, I think their problem now is much more on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I mean, Keenum, I mean, I, I think he's looked solid, but uh, do you know Foster can go, or how is he looking right now? Um, he said he should be okay after the bye. Okay. Um, I guess uh, Ben Tate, even though he finished the game, broke four ribs <laughs> uh, in that game versus the Chiefs. So, uh, yeah, this uh, this season has a chance to go uh, very bad, very fast for Gary Kubiak down here. Uh, any worse than Greg Schiano? No, no, probably not. <laughs> but... <laughs> How is he still employed at this hour? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's because, like, you know, they knew the Saints were going to be good, and <laughs> you know, the Falcons stink, and uh, you know, it's like uh, we're only you know one or two games less than the Falcons. Uh, I don't know what the logic is down there, but have you uh, watched the Bucks recently? They are not even like. Yeah, I they, mean, they just, they get garbage time touchdowns and make the score respectable, but they're awful. They, they're not even showing, they're not even trying for him. <laughs> and they don't give a, they don't give a rat's ass about anything uh, going on. And then, then they're like, oh, I better get some stats for myself. Uh, they're running, they're running cover four the rest of the game. We can do some underneath stuff and eventually score and then only lose by 8 to 10. That's, is that the game plan now? Uh, is, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
I'm just hoping Glennon gets hurt so we get to see Orlowski. Oh, you know, Orlowski, the key to every terrible season. <laughs> what, a, what a legacy he's got for himself. Well, yeah, well, one could argue that uh, the downfall of the Tetsons didn't start this year. It started uh, last year when, when they well, had. Two, two years ago when uh, Indianapolis was winless. And it was like going into like week 14. And uh, Dan Orlowski started for the Colts. Right. And uh, they, they actually beat the Tetsons that day. <laughs> So you, you you think that by losing to the guy part of an 0 and 16 and a 2 and 14 and now an 0 and 17, oh god, that's just hilarious. <laughs> I will never forget this until the day I die. That is Dierolowski's legacy to to me. <laughs> Holy crap, that's that's two and 37. <laughs> Depending on how they end, let's say the Bucks squeak out two. <laughs> because the Bucks, they have enough talent on the team. Let's say they squeak out too. That means a combined four and forty-four, <laughs> a nine percent win percentage. <laughs> oh God! Oh. Uh, let, before I think he only won like ten games in four years in college. He went to UConn. I don't. Yeah, and that was before they were good. Yeah, <laughs> that was before they started getting good and getting more NFL prospects in the in the league. I, I don't know. Uh, what, what what sort of before we get to the Bears and then the Browns to to hit on the main the main two uh, other the teams that we always spend a little bit more time on. Uh, what other topics in the NFL did you want to bring up before we move on to them? Besides, uh, besides the Chiefs, what are uh, what are your uh, surprises? I guess around the league. I uh, I guess I never thought the Jets could manage winning this many games. Um, I I figure that Geno Smith would be the. I actually did think Geno Smith would be okay, but he'd be kind of like the throwback. I guess now rookie. But I never thought the defense would be that good. I knew he could put something together, but to, to see him that good and sitting at 4-3, and three, and now you're thinking, Tom Brady, by the way, uh, 28th in completion percentage. Uh, he, he's a notch above uh, some terrible quarterbacks. That, yeah, three, three games uh, less than 50% this year. Uh, that is, uh, and, you know, he breaks his touchdown streak, and, and you know, now he hasn't thrown one in two out of three games. So uh, I, I guess how plucky the AFC East is, but how close the AFC is, East is is a little more surprising to me. I, it still feels like the Dolphins, as much as they're going downhill because of all the sacks they give up, it kind of feels like that they're not out of it, and it feels like the Jets even have a chance. Uh, any team has to know that they're going to be able to run on the Patriots now. So I guess that's my one big surprise. Um, as far you know, I've got like ten of the twelve playoff teams at least in the running. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, my my biggest miss probably is thinking that the Giants would be somehow okay in that division, and obviously they're terrible. So. 
that's my one huge miss. Everybody else, you know, I saw the downfall of the Texans possibly coming and the, and the Colts uh, being able to take that division. So I get right now the two teams I thought might make the playoffs that aren't probably aren't going to are the Texans and and the the Giants, but the uh, the other ten are they're in. I I saw the Chiefs being good. I didn't think they'd be undefeated good, but you know I saw them uh, I saw them bouncing back. I you know not a lot of other surprises to, to be honest. I mean the, the Ravens are Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. Uh, the Bengals are clearly the class of that division. The Steelers aren't quite back. I, uh, you know, NFC East the winner is going to go seven and nine. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I had it at ten and six or nine and seven. You know, I I put it at ten and six as my final guess, but I said I could see it happening at nine and seven. And it, I, now it looks like definitely the Cowboys, as long as uh, Sean Lee still. I think if Sean, I'm telling you right now, if just Sean Lee stays healthy. For the Dallas Cowboys on defense, I think they win the division. I, I think it's that close and that stupid. <laughs> but he is that good. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched. Uh, I was at a bar on Sunday and watched a lot of the, uh, well, a lot of all the games that were on. But I mean, I don't think the Cowboys or the Eagles cross midfield till about three minutes before halftime. It, it was god awful. I I don't there should have been a lot of points in that game I I, I don't under, I don't want to try to understand it I I don't care <laughs> you know I don't know it, it it says something I mean that was the first game that Chip Kelly's offense was held under 425 yards so uh, to hold him to 278 in that game was was really impressive but uh, yeah I I don't know do you have any other surprises I gotta say I'm not surprised by a lot. I, I guess the AFC East is my biggest surprise, and just the Giants being that bad. Um, uh, on your end, before we, we move on, before we go to the Browns. Um, I, I actually think uh, the Titans are a lot better than I thought. Um, their, their defense is actually really good. Um, uh, it's unfortunate Locker got hurt when he was playing the best ball of his career. I know I know he just came back, but um, the top of that division could get real interesting with uh, the Colts losing Reggie Wayne. I mean, since <laughs> Marvin Harrison retired slash went away <laughs> due to his legal problems slash, you know, left the NFL, I mean, I don't know if you want to use the word, I mean, I'm not sure if you want to use the word, I mean, I guess guns were used, but I'm not sure if you want to use the word slash with the word Marvin Harrison. <laughs> uh, well, uh, since he left, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Reggie Wayne, I don't know what the stats are, but I'm, I'm guessing he's probably led them in receiving every game, but probably three or four games since uh, Harrison retired. Yeah, you had a freak T.Y. Hilton game, uh, you know, you had a couple others, but in general, I, I did rank that as the second most devastating injury of last weekend. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they'll figure that out. But you got to think of it this way. They went from 2-14 and 14 to 11-5 and 5 with absolutely no defense, and the biggest change was just getting Andrew Luck. i, I got to think they'll still figure it out. And with uh, other teams reeling and the Titans losing a few games as, as Locker gets his footing back, 
And again, you're right. That Zach Brown, he, he's eventually been as advertised. Uh, and you know, they're impressively physical on the outside, and the front seven is good on defense. You know, they for a former tough guy like Mike Munchak. You know, my biggest problem with that team is not how good they look; is that he plays he plays weenie football. Uh, he has no guts and fourth and one or fourth and two. Uh, no ingenuity. Uh, I, I think hurting, you know, have, not having Sean Green certainly hurts, which I never thought I'd say this year. Uh, you know, because Chris Johnson just, you know, he's got Reggie Bush syndrome, is that both those guys, uh, they seem to believe that there's a seam open on every play and that they're going to get to it, and there isn't. And so you're going to find a lot of 15-carry, 40-yard games. So, you know, I guess I agree with you a little bit on the Titans, um, but I, I think they're held back by Munchak. I, I think they probably are a better team than they are, but, you know, for a tough guy, he coaches like a weenie. He really does. You, uh, you, you take a look at the decisions he makes and the play calls he makes, oh, my God, what a chicken. What a chicken shit. And that's, and, and, and that's fine if you're winning games, but they're now still not winning a ton of games. Uh, you got nothing to lose, man. Uh, you know, he was going to lose his job. Now, I don't know, with, with unfortunately, you know, you know, uh, Bud Adams passing and everything, I don't know how that's going to all shape up, but I, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't see them... I, I think they're going to be one of those 6-10 and 10 teams that really should be 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7. Uh, well, I, I think they still have to play the Jaguars again, so, uh, no. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, yeah, as far as the wild card, uh, you know, we, we predicted this at the top of the year that who knows what the hell would happen in the wild card in the NFC, so, I mean, they, they still got a shot. <laughs> it, it could come down to them, the Jets. And and uh, yeah, probably them in the Jets. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> and the Broncos might score six hundred points and be the five seed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um. All right. Let's get it. Let's let's in honor of the Browns. 20th quarterback anniversary since they came back to Cleveland. Uh, Jason Campbell, guy you and I know a lot about. Um, I, don't, I don't see how this helps their problems on offense. I, I guess when Jason Campbell, you, you know, we saw what happened to Jason Campbell last year when, when, a, when an offensive line isn't playing very well, right? Uh, well, the right side of the Browns' offensive line is an absolute sieve, right? Right. So what makes us think that Jason Campbell is going to be in any better position than Brandon Whedon? Uh, because of Norv. <laughs> Believe in the Norv. <laughs> well, see, here's the problem with that type of thinking. <clears throat> Norv likes to run the downfield passing attack. <laughs> Obviously, Brandon Whedon can't do it because if you watch just the first two, this is how 
I went to go watch tape this week. And I was like, okay, I didn't see any of the Browns-Packers game in the late games. So, I go back last night, and, and I go, all right, I've been reading what people are saying. It couldn't possibly be that bad. And then I'm like, I see a couple, I see a couple comeback routes on, on the very first drive where Greg Little is wide open 15 yards down the field. And Whedon consecutively sails the ball on him way out of bounds when he had a decent pocket. I, he must have thought he was Josh Freeman. I, I just wanted to stab myself. I, I made it through two series before I shut it off. I was like, okay, I get it. All right, I understand what happened here. Okay, here's the problem. So as a coach, as, as, yeah, maybe Whedon was practicing some baseball throws. Well, I'll tell you this. Psychologically, I can tell you exactly why Brian Weed never made it as a pitcher, and it's exactly why he's not going to make it as an NFL quarterback. You've got to have, you know, and for love of the game, and I hate using a, movie, a cheesy movie, which I actually like, but whatever. Uh, you know, they call it the mechanism. And that is a true thing that, that as a former crappy pitcher myself, um, you go through that. You, you there's one thing that you're looking at. There's one thing you're focused on. You cannot let the outside world affect you. And finally, for you know, for the first 19 starts of his career, or really 18 starts of his career, we didn't see that with Whedon. We we saw him have a nice little shell. The truth is, he was crumbling underneath that shell the entire time. He started whining to the media a little bit, like he doesn't understand the scrutiny he's, he's under. Even though just last week he has an underhanded throw that a five-year-old girl made, and I made two cracks about, by the way, exactly like that in my columns, and he deserved every bit of it. Hey, come on. You throw an underhand like a five-year-old girl, you're going to get made fun of. You go 5-14 and 14 as an NFL starter, you're going to get ripped on, especially when the Browns actually have some talent at receiver now. Um, you know, there's cracks in his armor. He, you can tell that he just doesn't have the mentality. He does not have, you know, people call it the it. We know that Brandon Whedon doesn't have the it. And at this point, and, and I actually feel for Mark Lombardi, because he called this during the 2012 NFL draft, and now he's managing the team. He's, he has to see this from the owner's box every single week. Like, God damn it, I was right. I hate being right about this, but I was right. Look at this guy. You know, and, and so... It's, it's pretty funny the, this morning on uh, Sirius NFL Radio, they said uh, uh, Campbell has uh, some sort of clause in his contract where he gets uh, a certain amount of playing time. He'll get... Uh, They'll get a bunch more money, and they were saying that's maybe why Cleveland wasn't playing him. And then now, later this afternoon, <laughs> he was named the starter. So uh, I know the Browns are a bunch of money underneath the cap, but uh, that's that's a pretty funny tidbit. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't hear hear that. It doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, that type of stuff goes on under uh, behind the scenes all the time, but. You know, when you have a guy that's throwing an underhand one week and then he's supposed to be throwing his strength the next week and he sails the ball uh, like that, I mean, that's just bad. That 15-yard comeback route, that's that's his window. I've described this before to other people. Brandon Whedon, 
the, the thing that would have made him good in the North Turner offense is the fact that he has the rare arm strength ability to throw perfectly in that 15 to 18 yard window along the sideline down the field. Well, now he's sailing that ball. And, and they've got nowhere else to go. But I, I'm sorry, it's not going to get any better because Jason Campbell at this point, he's lost a lot of his athleticism. He was never a downfield thrower in the first place. He's going to become a he's going to become basically a taller version of Trent Edwards. Uh, that that's what you're going to see. Come on, man! Uh, I just ate a little while ago. <laughs> well, I I'm an honest guy, and that's what you have right now with Jason Campbell with a bad line and an unwillingness to throw downfield and less athleticism now because he's another year older. You're going to get another captain checkdown, and you know maybe he'll throw. A few less interceptions, uh, but technically, because of wh how much he'll check down, oh, that other team's gonna have better field position with his interceptions than they did with the Whedon interceptions. <laughs> Maybe only by about five yards, but that's still a better field position. The Browns are stuck. It, it sucks to be them, and I'm not gonna give away an idea that I have for them. Um, I'm gonna save it for a column on Friday. This will probably go up on uh, no. Probably Thursday. I'm gonna to try to stay up and get it up tonight. Uh, we're recording this on uh, on a Wednesday after week seven. So I, you know, they're stuck. I get it. It's a bad situation. You got to move on from a guy that that he's we didn't. I, I guarantee it. We haven't heard that much in the media from him. He's he's destroyed. He's already destroyed mentally. He's already 30 years old. He's not gonna get any better. Uh, the, uh, you know, we're not going to hear his name much again after this season. Uh, that's it. He, he's, he's basically done. You start hearing the whining like that from a guy who's only played 20 games and he doesn't get it, that you're, you're basically a rookie, you get judged immediately, and you, that's all you get. As a rookie in the modern NFL, we give you a one-year window. Once you have a full year of games under your belt, it is open season. And so, and he doesn't. If he doesn't get that, then he's done mentally. Am I missing something here? No, uh, Brown's uh, QB situation is uh, pretty funny, and uh, it's going to be real interesting uh, who they look at it in the draft because none of these college quarterbacks are are are, are wowing me at this point. So uh, I don't. I have no idea who they're going to go after. Well, I can only my only last piece of advice before we move on to the Bears is simply this: stay pat. Do not trade up. They need assets. They need talent. Uh, that is one of the reasons they should not trade Josh Gordon, in my opinion. He's a guy that you can say is talent. I know he's had two strikes, and but the thing is, because he's had two strikes, I guarantee they're not getting anything more than an offer of like a third rounder right now. Uh, they would just be running and running in in, in cement if, if they trade Josh Gordon. Uh, he is one one asset that you can target, saying that is an asset we can keep. It's not a depreciating asset. He's very young. Uh, you know, stay put, stay put next year. Just get talent. Do your best to get talent and get depth on that team. Because you know what, this is the modern NFL. They are not that far away, especially when that defense is that defense is legit. They just get tired because they're on the field so damn much. 
So, you know, it, that's my that's my advice to the, to the Browns. Let's move on to the Bears. Another depressing topic. My God, I hope I hope this podcast gets a little more lighter before the end of this. Let me go throw this out to you. How many teams have scored more points than the Bears this year? Uh, I think two, maybe, right? One. The Broncos. One. And the One. In a points per game, the Bears are fourth because of the number of games played. But in pure points, at 213, the Bears are 85 behind the Broncos, and they are number two. Yeah, that's, uh, I knew they were up there. Guess they I mean, were ahead of the, the Saints and uh, so Seattle and some other teams you thought might be up there. But, yeah, they, they, I knew they were up there. How many teams have allowed more points than the Bears? The Jaguars and the Giants. No. <laughs> Always bet on the Jaguars. You, you know the Jaguars are going to be above you there. All right. Well, first, first, how how well do you think the offense is going to do on their McCown for the next five games? Let's let's say Cutler. They're saying at least a month. We got the bye week now. And then they're saying week to week after that. Let's say, let, let's just say it's four games, quarter of a season. What do you think we can get out of that? Well, granted, he had a uh, great, great. Well, let, let, let's go over a schedule. Uh, we sure. got uh, Green Bay. Slaughtered. Right? Slaughtered. In Green Bay. Slaughtered. Slaughtered. Uh, they might score 60. What, what's, uh, what's next week after that? Uh, I'd have to be reminded on that one. Um, All right. I know St. Louis is in there. We can probably win against the Kellen Clemens Brady Quinn show. Uh, we got okay. We got we're at Green Bay. They get slaughtered there. Right. Uh, they're at home against Detroit. I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> probably a loss because. Uh, that's probably a loss because Tillman is the only guy in the league that can cover Calvin Johnson, and it's clear that Tillman might not be healthy the whole season. Let's call that a loss. Home against Baltimore. They got a chance in that one because yeah. Baltimore has no passing offense. The only problem is the Bears have no linebackers, and the one thing that the Ravens now do have again is a bunch of tight ends. Um... St. Louis, good chance to win there. At St. Louis, doesn't matter. Uh, still could be Clellan Clemens starting. Or Tim Tebow. <laughs> or Brady Quinn. Well, well, we'll say best case scenario, what, two and three in that stretch? Well, the next, the other one's at Minnesota. So I, well, say, I say best case scenario, three and two. Worst case, one and four. I, yeah, I, 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 I think they're going to lose 60-20 to 20 to Green Bay. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I, I, Green Bay hasn't really scored a whole lot of it points in the entire it, season. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no one is more depressing than seeing Shea McClellan play so many snaps last week while staring at Briggs and Tillman on the sideline. 
And then have Erlacher come out on Monday and say he should be a linebacker. Uh, and Erlacher uh, did not want to come back, unfortunately. <laughs> well, all the worst things we were talking about the Bears and warning people about on, on defense all came true in one big fell swoop. You know, I've been talking about how bad the drafts have been, especially on the D-line. Uh, I've been talking about how bad, this little dirty little secret about how Peppers is on the decline and that he's, he's going to get, he's going to get cut next year. And it's going to save them 11 million to cut him next year. They're going to have to eat 13 million still, but he's done. Yeah, he's, he's he, good. He's giving them nothing. You know, one sack, and I'm pretty sure the quarterback ran into the sack when that happened. I, if I remember. Well, yeah, actually, it was the uh, the strip fumble of Matt Stafford. That's what. That's right. That's what it was. You know, but they're just decimated. And the problem is, is that they've had all those injuries. And again, we've been talking about this as a shell of a team built on free agent contracts, and as soon as all those guys start getting hurt, you know, we're throwing in young guys that are either not going to ever be good. Like I said, Shay McClellan wasn't ever going to be good. We hated that pick. I knew Emory got too cute with that. I, I, oh, God. I wrote about it that very night. I, I'm glad that I have a draft draft day timestamp article now where I can prove that I said these things right away. Um, you know, and you do this for long enough. You know, you go back to, like, the Jerron Gilbert or or the Dan Bozine or the Michael Oquo. You know, you, you go back to that. You know, there's nothing left under beyond that other than maybe trying to bring back Omibia Koye, who does, apparently doesn't want to come back from what I hear. But it doesn't matter. It, it, it's just this is what happens when you start getting injuries and you don't draft well. And this is what you end up with. And I'm afraid that the Bears are going to... At this point, I think the smart thing would be is to actually franchise Cutler next year. Uh, I don't know. I think this team bottoms out next year. It's a very scary situation right now. I think we're going to ruin the best offense we've ever seen. They're on, point, they're, on, they're on pace to set records, team records for most points in a season and most points allowed in a season. I, I don't know. How do you feel about the whole thing before uh, we get into the, the fun stuff to end this? Yeah, I mean, I, I see uh, anywhere from a 5 to a 7 win team now after these injuries. And, uh, you know, I think you wrote an article saying they have something like you know, 38 or 40 guys uh, expiring contracts this year, so um, it's a lot. The good part about it is uh, our offensive line will be back. We have no no idea what'll what'll happen after that. No, you know, and you're saying five to seven and wins. Bushrod will be back. Long will be back. Mills will be back, and then you know we may replace Garza. Uh, and I think it's on a one-year deal, but we could get someone else to play guard. But, uh, but yeah, as far as the rest of the team, uh, it's it's yeah, it's we're gonna see a lot of new faces next year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess at least uh, at least Boston and Greenwell 
uh, at least get some baptism by fire, and maybe that'll help them develop a little quicker over time. Uh, you know, uh, Isaiah Fry might be something that they can latch on to. Uh, maybe Peanut will give. I don't know. I you know they're they're talking about five years, nine million a year for him or something is what's being thrown out there. That'd be crazy. I love Peanut, but that'd be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at his age, and this is just going to get worse. So you, you can't you can't do, you can't make that deal. So maybe they're able to get Jennings back, but of course Jennings looks terrible when he doesn't have support on the other side. Uh, you know. The secret MVP of the team last year was Charles Tillman. And, you know, people don't talk about that enough. He solidified one side of the field. Uh, he made Jennings look better. He made everyone else look better. He, he was just a complete career year. And yeah, it's a shame it was wasted, and it's a shame that he's all now. And it would be a real shame that we finally have a real offense and that'll all be wasted because the other side of the ball completely collapses underneath the weight of free agent contracts and lack of depth. And I don't know. That's what it looks like they're heading for. Blots, you had a special segment. Well, I'll finish off in saying I, I see a win against St. Louis, uh, Minnesota, and maybe Cleveland. I think going on the road to Cleveland is actually a little harder so yeah, this is still the seven and nine team that I thought it was at the beginning of the season. Unfortunately, I never thought it would work out this way to that end game. I, I thought it'd be a little different than this. Thought it'd take a little longer to gel on the offense. Uh, yeah, just ugly. All right, introduce your uh, special segment before we get to the model American. Uh, just kind of uh, some news notes and tidbits. Uh, from called news notes and honorable mentions uh, before we get into the model American, but it's referencing uh, prior model Americans uh, that we've done on the show, and uh, you know some that could be model Americans because we haven't had a podcast in a while. So uh, we'll start off by saying that uh, uh, Chad Curtis got a seven to fifty years uh, for sexually assaulting three girls. Uh, we knew that was coming. We just didn't know how bad it would be. Oh, yeah. yeah good old chat. We, uh, we had a whole good, good segment on uh, how disgusting that was. All right. Seven to 15 years. That sounds about right. Coincidentally, that is the age range that he likes his women. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, as I said, it's been a while since we had a podcast, so we uh, Trader Bud Seeley has announced his retirement, effective uh, at the end of that season. So, uh, as I said, it's been a whole while. I know that's. A I'll, be I'll be excited. I'll be excited. Yeah, but uh, he's, he's. Let's put it this way, though. This is the third time he's announced his retirement. He didn't retire the other two times that he announced his retirement. So, I'll wait for the day that he actually retires. And, and still is a guy that isn't part of the old boys club. And if it's Joe Torrey, I'm going to stab myself. <laughs> He's the exact type of thinking that the baseball doesn't need any more of. Love Joe Torrey. Nice guy. Hell of a story. Bad thinker for the future of the baseball. So until this actually happens, I'm not celebrating. 
I'm not. He's done this twice to me. <laughs> Keep going. Um, yeah. Johnny Jones is be a candidate for comeback player of the year. Has 13 tackles and a sack for the Packers. Yeah, I, uh, unbelievable that he actually made it all the way back. Aaron Hernandez's girlfriend. Uh, uh, we knew she was not guilty to perjury uh, in the past couple of days. Uh, I think I think if we found a, a excerpt of, of the podcast done right after that happened, I, I think you'll find one of us mentioning that she had been covering shit up. <laughs> and guess what? She was covering it up. And uh, moving on to our honorable mentions of Model Americans, they did not make uh, the the final final cut. But uh, uh, we'll start off with uh, Bill Russell uh, carrying a loaded gun into the uh, Seattle airport. Uh, you know, you can imagine being in line at the airport and say, you know, sir, put put your bag on the uh, conveyor belt, and they're like. Uh, this guy's got a gun, and it's uh, it's it's loaded. <laughs> I don't, you know, that that one just to me it seemed like a little par for too too much par for the course. You know, we've done this for a few years now. We've had a couple of guns at the airport story, so I like to shy away from them unless I unless unless that's all I've got to go on. Uh, you know. I don't know. Bill Russell is probably getting to the age where he's just a mean old bastard anyway. Feels probably feels like he needs a gun with him. You know, might be forgetting a few things that it's not the fifties anymore, and you can't basically like take a gun on the plane, smoke, and then bang, you know, and then bang the stewardess and back. Which he probably tried to do both those other things, but they just didn't report that. And the last one before we move on, the uh, gentleman named Toby Sheldon, the uh, 33 year old man who got uh, plastic surgery and looked like Justin Bieber, uh, spent a hundred thousand uh, dollars. I was really hoping he might have been the model American, but uh, well, we got something else for you. Yeah, you know that's a tough one not to give it to. Um, you know. If he had tried, if he had done plastic surgery to make himself look like Miley Cyrus, <laughs> then I probably would have given it to him. This is just like a creepy guy that I'm a little afraid that like Biebs like paid him off because he knows he's got a death threat coming and this guy's gonna take the bullet for him or something. I don't know. It's uh, just a little, just a little too. Uh, I don't want 14-year-old girls listening to this podcast, I guess is what I'm saying. If I start mentioning the Biebs word too much, it might actually get out there, and then 14-year-old girls might start listening to this. I, I don't need that, because then I'm going to get Twitter bombed by them, you know, because I hate the Biebs, and then, then I'm going to get death threats, and then I'm, I'm going to have to get surgery to look like the Biebs, just so I can kind of hide, even though I'm pretty sure the Biebs isn't six foot five. But, you know, we'd figure it out. I don't want to have to do that. But, yeah, man, move, moving on to your, uh, your pick for Model American. Well, you know, this is another serial Model American, but, uh, you know, 
Wow, NCAA. You outdid yourself this time. Holy crap. Uh, the, uh, the report about the, that finally came out about Miami um, basically details exactly um, every way a university could, could break the rules of their own rulebook as well as how the investigators broke the rules of their own rulebook. For an organization that pretends to be nothing about class and doing things the right way, and doing what's right for the student athlete or whatever term, BS term they want to make up next, uh, <laughs> they have really, <laughs> really destroyed everything about their process in one fell swoop. So Nevin Shapiro, you know, got mad and tried to take down the University of Miami. But what he might have been able to do is finally take down the NCAA. Let's put it this way. Among the things detailed in the report was Nevin Shapiro um, being known in the university in that he was basically in the best club seats, the best club boxes all around, all the games. And for 10 years, a decade, he was bringing recruits, current players, anything involved with the program to his house, buying them stuff, getting them strippers, letting them stay for a week, uh, you know, hooking them up with anything they could get. Um, the detail was no less than five football coaches, or, yes, five football coaches, a couple of basketball coaches, over a decade. Okay, over a decade. Let me keep saying this. Over a decade. I got it. This is one of these times I got to do the Lewis Black thing. Over a decade, they did all of this. Uh, apparently, pretended to not know uh, that Nevin Shapiro was up to no good. When part of the things that occurred and they found out in the investigation is that Nevin Shapiro once almost came to blows with the head compliance officer for Miami. So, and when the head compliance officer of Miami said, I was almost punched out about this guy, management did nothing. Not a thing. Okay. So where this gets hilarious is this. Uh, the basketball coach, who is not, not at Miami anymore, that was named, suspended five games. Uh, that's a quarter, uh, that's one, less than one quarter of a regular season of basketball. Um, football program, they lose three scholarships that most teams don't use anyway. Very few teams actually fill up their 85 uh, scholarships. It allows them to get a few more recruits each year and they always you know they always have room in case they ever do get an entire recruiting class even though always a couple of guys leave at the late late moments so they lose scholarships they don't use anyway they accept the penalties of uh, two years of not being um, in, in, in in the bowls which they served already as, as, as a self-punishment, and a coach gets five games. For a decade, 
a decade, a decade of pure just disregard for any of the rules and anything set forth. Meanwhile, Bruce Pearl basically got the coach death penalty of show cause because he had a barbecue with Aaron Kraft. Meanwhile, he had a couple of payments in one Reggie Bush house for USC football, and they got much worse than that. Ohio State got much worse than that for this for a couple tattoos from one team and some memorabilia. Uh, the NCAA is the model American of the week because, wow, they, they have just destroyed everything. There's no such thing as precedent. The rules don't really matter. They took a dump on their own book and smeared it all around. <laughs> they were just people wanted one final thing to prove that the NCAA is a complete farce. You know, you go through the EA Sports stuff, we go through all the rest of this, and then you take this where a team does something for wait for it a decade, and the coach get one basketball coach gets five games basically. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to think now, every team that somewhat gets in trouble is just going to self-impose some stupid sanctions because they know the MCA is not going to do anything. <laughs> well, I just want to say that if Mark Emmert sees Pat Hayden on Halloween, he might want not want to get near. It'll be the perfect cover, it'll be the perfect cover to actually stab Mark Emmert. Uh, you just might want to stay away from Pat Hayden for a while. Uh, I, oh my God, uh, USC! Uh, you know they they got absolutely hammered in all this, and, and they had a yeah they had a few guys. They had one they had a basketball coach and a football program. Yeah, they had one house. They Miami did it for a decade. A decade. And by the way, this isn't the only decade that Miami has done this. Miami has done this. Miami's been this type of program, in my opinion, for 30 years. You can go, I bet you could go back that far back. You can go back to Two Live Crew. Two Live, you know what, that's it. Two Live Crew is the downfall of the NCAA. <laughs> I, I, I don't have anything else to say. I think the story speaks to itself. I don't need to make fun of it anymore. Uh, clearly, the NCAA is the model American of the week again. And they really outdid themselves this time. Really impressive, impressively bad. This is the first you're hearing all that detail. How do you feel about this? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw some some headlines about this story last night and just kind of laughed. And, you know, it's... Just the the length of the investigation and uh, coming up with this, he <laughs> just he uh, got a laugh. I mean, uh, you know, granted, a lot of those guys are long gone that were getting uh, everything from Shapiro and whoever else, but uh, it's well, well. I mean, as we learned for Tommy Boy. If you're in college for like seven years or more, you're a doctor. <laughs> Not happening for football players. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, that's all I got. You know, uh, again, Blotz, appreciate you having, uh, having you on. We'll have to do it a little sooner next time. But uh, for uh, for me, uh, that's it on this version of the model. Uh, I mean, the Polish Guy podcast. Uh, Blotz, you ain't got any last words? No, no, that's it. Uh, have a good one, bud. Take it easy, man. Good talking to you. Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Forest Guy Podcast. Podcast. We have a model American of the week. Holy crap, that defense is good. Let's we'll get on the lighter side of things. Holy crap, that defense is good. They are the least they were. No matter where to win.